This is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. Okay, today we're going to be talking about Jonah. How many knows the story of Jonah? Jonah, and there was a boat, and there was a storm, and then there was this giant fish, right? Don't you wish there was, like, iPhones back then? You could capture the story of, of, of Jonah getting swallowed by a big fish. Do you know how many viewers you would have on YouTube, right? Like, I'm, I'm one of those people, like, like someone on Facebook does YouTube. I'm like, oh, all right, I watch it. I'm like, ah. Oh. And then the next one comes up. It's like kitty cats chasing yarn. I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. You know what I mean? But can you imagine like a person getting swallowed by a fish? Crazy. That would be, so that's the story. That's the, this is like one of my favorite stories that like in Sunday school. Like tell that story again. The guy who got swallowed by the fish. And so that's the story we're going to embark upon today. Jonah chapter one and one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, which means truth. Jonah's name means dove. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, or Tarshish, which is kind of hard to say. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. The ship's like, I don't even want to do this. I'm breaking up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each other, and they, and they each cried out uh, to their own God. Then they threw the cargo into the sea and lightened the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so we will not perish. What are you doing? You're sleeping in the bottom of this boat in a storm in the middle of the sea. Skip down to verse 15. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts to your word. Let it fall into good ground and bring forth much fruit in your name. Amen. All right. So this guy, Jonah, is a what we call a minor prophet. It's not because he's saying in a minor key. It's not because he was not a good prophet, right? Like, I'm a non-prophet, I'm a minor prophet. It's because his work, his right four chapters, it's smaller. So you have the minor prophets. These are the small, in the Old Testament, the smaller writings, Habakkuk and Amos, and you can go on, Joel, these are minor prophets. These two, three, four, five chapters. And then you have the major prophets, and these are like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. These are the larger works. Major prophets, minor prophets. So uh, uh, Jonah is considered um, in the in the canon, if you will, a minor prophet. I don't think he would say I'm a minor prophet. He was a prophet of God, just like all the rest of them. Okay, his name is Jonah, which means dove. Now, there's a lot of debate on whether or not he was raised as Jonah or born with the name Jonah or if Jonah is the name that's attributed to him because the name Jonah has this insinuation. It's not a good one, okay? Holy Spirit has not been poured out yet. We don't have Holy Spirit coming down like a dove on Jesus yet. There's no association yet like that. The dove was a bird that flew away from trouble, 
flew away from controversy. Storms coming in, it's not like the eagle, like, you know, sailing above, you know, the eagle. We call him Jonah the eagle. No, this is, this is dove. It's like, what? get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of here. And that's Jonah. And there's a, there's a lot of, every one of us has a little Jonah in us, right? Trouble comes. But here's the thing about when God speaks to you, I can almost guarantee in 99.9% of the time, it, it's not going to be something easy. Okay, it's, if it was something easy, you would have known to do it, already done it, right? It's usually something that you don't want to do, but you're willing to do. For instance, Abraham, 100 years old, he doesn't want to give his son Isaac to the Lord at the age of 100, the one he's been waiting for, Sarah's boy, Abraham's boy. He doesn't want to do it, but he's willing to do it. Moses doesn't want to go back to Egypt where he's a felon, but he's willing to go, but he doesn't want to go. Jesus, the Bible says, he prayed, if this cup can pass from me, don't let it. I don't want it. But he was willing. And so you don't have to want it. You just have to be willing to obey God's voice. Here's what we know. Anything that's going to be amazing with God is going to be daring for God. Anything we do is going to be daring. It's going to be out of your comfort zone. Jonah's out of his comfort zone. But let's be honest. If we can look back in history, we can know and understand that this task that, that Jonah's been giving is a huge one. Why? Because he's going to Nineveh. Where's Nineveh? It's in Assyria. Where's Assyria? Well, it's basically south part of Turkey, east part of Syria, and, and the northern part of Iraq. It's where all of ISIS is today. It would be like God calling you to go preach to ISIS, okay? It'd be like God calling you to go. And these were, ISIS is like, they're, they're kind compared to the Assyrians. The Assyrians, when they went into a place, they raped, they pillaged, they cut off people's heads, they buried people alive. They would take the heads of the people that were just cut off and they would create like a huge mound, like a pyramid to let you know the Assyrians have been here. So Thank you, God, for sending me to these barbarians. And we, go, we get kind of down on Jonah sometimes, like, oh, Jonah, he's one of those guys that ran from God. We won't even talk to the barista who's making our coffee sometimes, and we want to get on to Jonah for not going to Assyria to Nineveh. Can I get an amen from anybody in the house? Are there any saved baristas in the house? All right. <laughs> My point in case, all right? Fill this house, Lord, all right? The Assyrians, these are barbarians. These are like, these are like the ruffians. These are like the, the punks in the area. God's sending him to this big duty to proclaim, hey, guys, good news. God's going to judge you because you're bad. How many would like to deliver that mail? So what does he do? Probably what 99.9% .9 of us would do. And in this, a lot of people say that Jonah's writings are more like poetry. It was like, and God said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I'm going to Tarshish. And oh, it was, it was more like the, in the language, in the, in the Hebrew language, it's more like, okay, God, I'll see you there. And he's gone. Like he's running the opposite direction. Why? Because he doesn't want to do it. He wants to go to Tarshish. Now, for some people, you, you, we don't know where Tarshish is. So I have a map here that we can see where's Tarshish, okay? Tarshish. 2,500 miles, Nineveh, 550 miles, all right? So this is no, like, mistake, like, oh, God, I thought you said Nashville. You said Nineveh? I thought you meant Nashville. This is not like that, where it's, like, a simple mistake, like, oh, got on the wrong boat, you know, get on the wrong train. Oh, the smart train's going north, not south? I'm going to end up in Cloverdale? You know what I mean? It's not like that. It's like he intentionally is like, okay, God, sounds good. So he goes down to Joppa, and, of course, he finds a boat, to go to where he wants to go. Why? Because there's always going to be a boat to take you to Tarshish. There's always going to be a boat. 
there's always going to be a boat to take you there. And for some of you, Tarshish, it can be anything. It can be, man, the lies that you've lived in. It can be a website you go to. What do you run to? I think one of the things, the knowledge is you have, to, you have to first realize is what is your Tarshish? What is the thing you run to? What is the thing you escape to? What are you running to? And there's always going to be a boat that can take you there. He had the money for the fare. He could afford to get on the boat, but he could not afford to stay on the boat. Can I just tell you this? It may start out as a thing that you run to, a place of comfort and protection. And the lie that he believed was, the further and further I get from God, the easier and easier it's going to be. The further and further I get from God, oh, the easier and easier it's going to be. Can I just tell you, the more you try to run, the more you try to escape. Can I get an amen from somebody? You know what it's like. You're like, what is happening? You're trying to go really, really far. The further I get from God, the easier it will be. And the prodigal son believed the same thing. He kept moving further and further from his father's house. He ended up in a far country where there was a famine. He lost everything, even his dignity. He's living with pigs. And what happens? He has to have an awakening. He has to have a metanoia moment, a change of mind to come back. Can I just tell you today, it is not God's will for you to run from him, but to run to his arms today. Amen? All right, I want to talk about two fixed realities that you're going to have to deal with and I have to deal with, and these are two very pertinent and important realities that exist. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy named Steve Callahan. I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but there was a man, he was a sailor, and this is, this is not a long time ago, this is recently. He went out into the Atlantic Ocean, and his boat sank, and he was alone, and he was on a rubber life raft, and he would have died, but he had a working knowledge of how, uh, of the reality, the fixed realities of the ocean, and what they call the celestial navigation based on the stars and the sun. And so he was at sea for two and a half months and survived. That is amazing. And here's how he did it. He got four, he got three um, uh, pencils, put them together and was able to create a, 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 it's called a sextant and it is able to measure the horizon. So the sun to the horizon, certain stars of the horizon and determine where he was latitude, longitude. Based on that knowledge, he knew how to get into a current that would push him back to the Caribbean. He got back to the Caribbean two and a half months. He survived because of his knowledge of fixed realities. I today want to give you two. There are many spiritual fixed realities, but I want to give you two of those realities. The first reality is inside of each human, there is an insanity and tendency to resist God. In every one of us, there is a tenacity, a tendency, and an insanity to resist God. It was in our first parents, Adam and Eve. They thought, they believed, oh, I can have a better life if I resist the plan of the author of life. I'll eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did it bring? It brought destruction. The earth was cursed. The, 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 the ground was cursed. Relationships broken. Humanity broken and, and, and shorn to pieces. Why, why is there terrorism? Why is there hate? Why is there evil? You know why? Because of a decision thinking we can do this without God. That's why we have 
horror and terror in the world because we believe we bought into the fruit that if we can do it without, we can do it without God, we'll have a better life. And this is what's sold all the time. I hear people all the time go, well, I don't want to be a Christian because I want to have a fun life, a good life. Awesome. You think that, that you can have the, li- the best and fullest life outside of God. It doesn't work that way. This, this is the assumption. This is the assumption. A real, enjoyable, qualitative life requires distance from God. A real, joyful, qualitative life requires being a distance from God. That's the lie that is sold. Oh, you're a Christian. You have a boring life, boring marriage, boring. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing like having the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, healthy relationships, a blessed marriage. Amen. And people say this on their boat going to Tarshish in the storm. And I'm going to tell you today, people want the peace that's in your heart today. Amen? Amen. Now, there is in us this natural tendency. What is, the, what is the counterpart of that? It's the natural tendency to gravitate towards self. Me, 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 me. It's like the first words, like all my kids learned. Say, Daddy, me. You know what I mean? It's like, like it's in all of us. And if you, if you don't think you're selfish, then let me ask you this question. What gets you emo- more emotionally driven? When your phone dies or when someone on the other side of the planet is killed or murdered? You, you see what I'm saying? We lose our phone. Are we, more, are we more concerned with our lost phone or lost people? We're selfish by nature. Can I get an amen from anybody? Like it, there's a natural tendency and insanity in us to resist the good things of God. But there's a second reality. The second reality is this. There is a tendency and an insanity in God to chase you and intersect your life before you self-destruct. God is passionately seeking and pursuing you. Our tendency to run is called sin. Our tenden- his tendency to chase us is called grace. God calls, Jonah runs. God chases, Jonah surrenders. Have, does that story sound familiar to anybody in the house? God calls, Jonah runs, God chases, Jonah surrenders. I remember uh, being in ninth grade and they had this thing called Sadie Hawkins. How many ever done a Sadie Hawkins before? It's where the girl asks the guy to be the date and then that's like fri- all day Friday at school it's like oh we're day and, it, and the girl chooses and, and then you, you go to the dance with them so I'm in ninth grade you know I'm like 14 15 years old I'm not thinking about anything except hey, what's going on oh Sadie Hawkins cool you know and that's like what I'm thinking like and so I get I catch wind that this girl named Megan like really sweet pretty girl loves God like real sweet girl she wants to ask me and, and I go to a we went to Dulles High School, a huge 5A school. We, 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 I think we beat Yates all the time. Come on, somebody. No, we didn't. We never beat Yates. Anyways, so Dulles High School, big, big old school. And, and, and I catch wind, like, from her friends, like, oh, Megan's going to ask you. And I, I'm like, so I don't know what happened, but, like, every time I saw her, like, down the hallway, I'd be like, sneak out. Like, sneak into a classroom. Like, in the lunchroom, I'm, like, behind a pole. I'm like, and I'm, I'm constantly, and she's like, her friends are like, hey, she's trying to get a hold of it. She wants to ask you to Sadie Hawkins. And I'm like, yeah, 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 cool. Like, after school, I'll be like around here, you know, like on the, like, like home going like over fences, like Ferris Bueller. You know what I mean? Like crazy, crazy. Till like the day before the dance, I, I literally get this bouquet, okay, that comes to the front door 
And it's this big saying, I want to ask you to go to Sadie Hawkins. Please call me. Okay? Guess what? I didn't call her. <laughs> but finally the next day we met and was like, okay. And it all turned out okay. I'm not a, I'm not a crazy guy. But, but, but it was my insanity to run. It was her kindness to keep chasing. It was my insanity to run, but it was her kindness to keep chasing. This is what God does. I'm going to give you a definition of grace. When an undeserved people receive from an unobligated giver an unbelievable gift. That, my friend, is grace. When an undeserved people receive from an unobligated giver an unbelievable gift, that, my friend, is grace. And that is what the storm was. It was God trying to wake up Jonah from his madness and his sickness and his insanity. And God will bring temporary discomfort to get your attention because there's a tendency in you to resist and run from God, but there is a greater insanity and tendency in God to chase you until he gets your attention. That is the God that we serve. Now, my, my sister can, can vouch for this story. We, we, several times growing up, we had birds that would come through our chimney into our living room. Can I get an amen from Charity on the front? Did that happen? Okay. And I had two younger sisters who would be like, they like, I'm the oldest, and I got two younger sisters, Charity and Andrea, and they'd go, wow, wow. And my mom would be like, oh, I hope it doesn't poop on something. And my dad and I were like, okay, we will get this bird. Get the mask on. Here we come. And the way I pictured it was like, I will go find the bird. I will pick the bird up. I will walk the bird to the front door and be like, go and be with your family. And he will turn to me and with a little tear in his eye, be like, the great one has saved me. Thank you. <laughs> I will tell my children, and they will tell their children, and their children's children. And we will remember this day when I was saved by this, the great one in that house thing that I was in. No, this dumb bird <laughs> fought us. Like, by the, like, after 30 minutes of chasing this thing, like, trying to get us, like, I hate this bird. That, where's the shotgun? Not really, but kind of, okay? I was like, let's get this thing. And what the bird could not perceive was that this temporary discomfort was us trying to bring salvation or freedom to it. And what we got to understand is sometimes God is just trying to get us out, get us up, bring healing, bring hope. It's his grace when that storm comes. That's why the Bible says it was a great wind. Why? Because it was God's wind. It was grace waking, trying to wake up Jonah out of his insanity. And we've all been there. The insanity of, of, of the chase changes our heart. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget growing up and experiencing that grace when you realize I can't outrun God. I can't, I, there's nowhere I can go. I can't outrun God. I was on a plane this week. I had a quick trip. I was, I was, in and out, and uh, it, it was it was quite a quite a quite a trek to get where I was going because it's it was a small town, so I had to take multiple flights. And I was on a plane halfway there, and I had a two-hour flight, and it was one of those smaller planes. You know what I'm talking about? With like seat two and two, and so I have I'm sitting next to the window, and the seat next to me is open, 
And everyone's almost on board. And I think everyone's on board except like two seats. And I'm thinking, Jesus, 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 please don't let someone sit here. Just let this be a fence, Lord. Just, just block it. Just block it, Lord. Block it. And so like, everyone, like the next like two or three people come up. I'm like, and the person sits up. I'm like, yes. You know, I'm like, and the next person, because Lord, I'm going to be studying and I'm going to be praying and doing your work. You know what I mean? Like I need this space in, ca- in case the fire hits me. I need, I need a little space here, you know? And of course, like the last guy who gets on comes and he comes and sits right in that seat. So the next prayer is like, okay, don't let him be a chatterbox. Don't let him be, don't let him be a chatterbox. Don't. He sits down. He's like, hey, so how you doing? I was like, Jesus be a fence. Jesus be a fence. And so we're chopping it up a little bit. And so finally, I'm like, okay, just don't ask me what I do. 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 So he's like, after like, we're like in the air. He's like, so. I'm an engineer flying, da, 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 da. I'm, going to, I'm going to Tennessee, da, da, da. He says, what do you do? And I was like, Rah. And this is when, as a pastor, you have to decide, am I going to lie or tell the truth? I'm kidding, kidding. So I'm like, he's sitting there, and I'm like, and I know what's going to happen, because as soon as I say pastor, everything changes. It's like, it's like, mm. You know, I was, on, I was playing golf. I used to play golf. I don't play anymore because I'm terrible and it's just expensive. But I, I was trying to play golf and be, be sophisticated. I was playing golf one day and I played like 16 holes with a guy. I got mad. I went by myself to, to Minute Valley. I got hooked up with a guy. We were playing together, just him and I. And we're like 16 holes deep, you know. There's only 18. So you got 16, 17, 18. You got three holes left. And, and we're on the tee box. And this guy had cussed like a sailor the whole time. I mean, he was like everything. And so on the 16th tee box, he's like, so, what do you do? And I was like, all right, here we go. And I was like, I'm a pastor. He's like, dude, I am so sorry. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I mean, he's like, dude, like, seriously. Like, this is, and so, like, he was like, dude, listen, I've been cussing. I can't believe, like, beep, 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 cuss. I just can't. I mean, he's cussing while apologizing for cussing. That's what's happening. And then... And then he's like, hey, look, I got some extra Titleist. Like, let me give you some. These are like the expensive golf balls. I was like, no, 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 you don't have to. Oh, my goodness. Yes, you are forgiven, my son. God bless you. No, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. I did not do that. But I, I know how this goes. I know how this goes down. So I'm like, I'm like okay, I'm a, I'm a pastor. He's like, wow, okay, okay. He just drops the bomb. I used to be a Christian. I'm an atheist now. I was like, all right. And for two and a half hours, we unpacked the gospel, creation, the cosmos, historical Christ, the resurrection. And at the end of the flight, as we're landing, tears are streaming down his face. He said, I've never heard anyone articulate and explain it to me. I have resisted. I've had wounds. He just opened up. He says, crazy, you know, I can't wait to get off this plane and tell my mom, who I know has been praying for me. He said, I sat next to a pastor on a plane. I mean, we're talking like this is an engineer who lives on Huntington Beach, on the beach. Like, like, like this, this, is, this is a guy who's thought these things through. 
And we had a conversation. I didn't tell him that I'd been studying for, if there's a God, then why, for three and a half weeks. <laughs> but it was just like in me. It was, it was ready. And, and, and I saw God's grace intersect this Jonah, this dove that was trying to fly away. And God says, I'm not letting you fly away. That is amazing grace. That is amazing grace. And here's what's amazing to me is the guy with the answer is in the bottom of the boat while the world is going, what's happening? What's happening? The guy with the answers, the guy who can calm it, the guy who, has the, who knows Yahweh, who knows God is sleeping. And I wonder if God's trying to wake up the church while the world's in a frantic going, what do we do? What do we, how do we fix this? The only fix, sometimes this is God's grace trying to wake up the insanity of the world. And so where do we find Jonah? We find him going down to Joppa. We find him going down into the boat. It's down, 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 away, away, down, 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 away, away. And the Bible says during the storm, he's sleeping. Why is this? It's not because he has peace. It's because he's depressed. He becomes a shell of a person. And people who run from God, they lose their zest, they lose their zeal, they lose that smile, they lose that look in their eye. I've seen people who have run from God and, I, and it's like there's an emptiness. There's just an emptiness. And, and, you're, and you're, you're going, you're, you wanna do something. You wanna do something. You're like, but, but there's those moments where God in his infinite grace says, I'm gonna wake you up out of your insanity. Yes. I'm so thankful for God's grace. I'm so thankful. Jonah chapter 1 and 9 says this. He answered, Jonah 1 and 9, he answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. They asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. So when he got on the boat, they're like, where are you going? He goes, uh, I want to go to that, that place in Spain. Why? Because I'm running from God. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? He, it was Jonah's idea. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. This is what Jonah's reaction was. I can't fight this storm, so toss me into the storm. I can't fight grace, so cast me into grace. Just let me fall into the storm. And we've always read that the big fish came and it took him as the next thing. No, 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 no. The big fish was his vehicle back to his purpose. I want to show you another map real quick. Here's another map. The fish spit a mountain, northern Syria, the closest location back to Nineveh. You see, what you thought was a, a, a hindrance and an issue is sometimes God's vehicle of getting you back in alignment with where he's taking you. Amen? Amen. So he did three things. He, he said, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a child of God. I'm confessing that today. I worship God. He put his attention back on God. And then he said, this storm is my fault. It's my fault. And I recognize it's God's grace on my life. Can I just tell you, within you is a tendency and an insanity to resist God. But in God, there's a tendency and an insanity to chase man. For what is man that thou art mindful of him, the psalmist said, and the son of man that you visit 
him. And it says this, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Your wickedness and your sin, you've rebelled and you've run from God. Can I tell you today how bad you've gone? I'm going to tell you, it's not too far for the grace of God. Where sin abounds, guess what? There's much more grace that will abound and bring you back. Can I speak to parents and people who are praying for loved ones? Keep praying, keep believing, because God is going to awaken us out of our insanity. Grace is greater than sin. Grace is greater than our issues. In the 1940s, there was a, a meeting of the minds with all of these leaders and these religious leaders at a big table. You had Baha'i and Sikhs and uh, Buddhists and Hindus and you had Muslims and, and you had all Christian leaders and they were all this table. And so they went around to each spokesman for the, the religion and they said, what makes, what makes your religion different, unique, special? And each one of them had a moral answer. It's what we do. It's what we did. It's what we don't do. It's what we believe. And when it came around to the Christian side, it was C.S. Lewis who was at the table. And he said this. He said, the difference in Christianity than all these, he said, is grace. That has nothing to do with anything that we've done. When we get to heaven, it's not going to be we earned it, we deserved it. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the, tw the, the 24 dressed in white, the elders. And they're looking at the book of life saying, who can open it? Who can open this book? And none of them could open it. And then out of the throne of God comes a lamb that was wounded and bruised. And it com he comes and he opens the book and all of heaven falls and worships him. Can I tell you, heaven is not about what you did to get there. It's about what God did to get you there. That is what heaven is about. I'm not leaning and trusting in my strength. I'm leaning and trusting on his strength. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I want to close with this story. John Newton, not to be um, mistaken with Wayne Newton or any other Newtons out there. John Newton, born in the 1700s, he was, a, he was born to a godly mother, but a sailor who was a father. His mother died when he was very young. She prayed for John, but she died, and her son began to become a sailor with, her, with his father. His father was a brute man. He was a, a mean sailor, and John got everything honestly from his dad. In fact, at the, at the age of 14, 15, John was known as one of the roughest seamen out in, uh, out in the ocean. He was the one who cursed the most. He got drunk the most. In fact, he was known for cussing for two hours without using the same word twice. He was a brute. And so this man... Uh, got down at a little later age, 16, 17, 18 years old. He was, he was in his upper teens, and they're down in South Africa, and the, they can't take him anymore. They literally throw him overboard, and he washes to shore in South Africa where he's taken, and he becomes a prisoner. For a couple years, he's a prisoner there where uh, he's, I mean, he's angry. He's angry at Africa. He's angry with his dad. He's angry at life, and eventually he's able to escape, and he gets on a boat, and this is a slave trade boat that he gets on. It develops into a business that he embraces. He becomes a slave trader. And he begins to do this and, and, and take families out of villages, take families out of cities. And he's going up to England and up to the Americas. And he's shipping people until one day grace comes. And you say, he doesn't deserve grace. You're absolutely right. None of us do. But grace comes. And that boat, he's in his boat. And it's rocking left and right. And it's about to go down. And he, for the first time in his life, calls out to God as he's standing facing 
his mortality and eternity. And he cries to God. And it was such a deep cry that that cry changed him in that moment. He went back to England. When he went to England, he went to church and he gave his life to Jesus. He ends up becoming a pastor. He was known for three things. He was known for his compassion and his love and his patience with people. The second thing he was known for, he became famous for helping to abolish the slave trade because he influenced directly William Wilberforce, who many of you know, who was the one who got, uh, made slave trade illegal in England. That's what started the ripple effect. And the third thing that you may know him for, he's the one who wrote the song Amazing Grace. Now, here's the words to Amazing Grace, and I'm closing as our team comes up. Listen to these words very carefully. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. You see, grace can find the most wretched people with the most broken lives, catch them, and pull them back into the life with the author of life. And I believe today, God is trying to break somebody out of their insanity. You say, I've done far worse. You say, I've done, I haven't done that bad. It doesn't matter. Let me just tell you today, God's Grace changes people. Because as hard as you can run, you can't outrun God. As far as you can go, it ain't going to be farther than God will chase you down. God knows exactly where you are. I'm thankful for God's grace. Right where you are, would you stand? And I want to ask you and invite you to close your eyes and bow your head with me. Lord, today I'm thankful for your amazing grace. I refuse to run. Today, Lord, I say, cast me, toss me into those waves, into that wind, into that storm. Just cast me into it, Lord. Because that storm is not my enemy. That storm is my grace. You've allowed these things to waken me up. Today, Lord, you're reaching for hearts. Today, Lord, you're reaching. Today, Lord, you're doing a new thing. Transforming lives by the gospel. The science of what you did on the cross, Lord Jesus, gives us hope. It's not that we earn righteousness it's that it was imputed it was given before the fact it was said we were clean before we were ever clean it was said that we're right with God before we ever even took the first move we just looked in your direction amazing grace how sweet how sweet for someone today it needs to be the sweetest thing you've ever heard how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me Today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to have our prayer team come up and face you. But we are going to invite you to come forward. And our team's going to sing and we're just going to have our hands lifted. If you want to come forward, I want to invite you to come forward. We're going to ask our elders.
elders and staff and team members to come up so it'll take away that awkwardness for everybody else. We're just going to stand in awe.